welcome to my art form. It's time for Post-Orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your host, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is, how do you get there? Post-Orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor, 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 neighbor. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you so much for tuning in to Post-Orthodoxy. This is a show about changing our minds. This is a show about where do you get your information and how do you feel about your information? Did you did you know that you have feelings about facts? How do you feel about the fact? There are the some facts and you might have feelings about them and your feelings influence whether or not you want to quote-unquote believe those facts. We talk about dogmas and we talk about orthodoxies, which are fancy words for things that you're not supposed to ask questions about. If you're just listening to the radio and heard this show, post-orthodoxy, you might wonder, what is that? Why are we here? What does that mean? I think it means that we're out to ask all the questions people tell you you're just not supposed to ask. I like to ask questions that, yeah, we're not supposed to ask. Uh, for those, I, I do like to re- reiterate the function and the purpose and the mm-hmm. inspiration of the show. We do um, share a lot of news on this show, but it is not, it's, not a, it's show. not a show for like, we like helping people find information, but that's finding it is not our primary goal. Helping you, helping you with the skills that we've learned about how to be smart about the information you come across. We can call it a meta news program. Yeah. It's beyond <laughs> news. It's a, uh, it's basically about, uh, Anything, yeah, I don't know, brainwashing? Um, yeah, I've been brainwashed before. Uh, brainwashed Same. myself a couple of times even since. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting phenomena. Many how, people are in super denial that they've ever been brainwashed. Right. We're Not all me. brainwashed. Everybody's being brainwashed. I wrote a little piece today about maybe where we are, where we are and what we're doing and how we're doing it as a group of folks. And I guess you would call us a society Used to be a society, anyway. I don't know what you call a group of folks anymore. The global village. Uh, are you talking about all the folks, like all the folks. all the neighbors on the planet? All the folks. Yeah. Uh, the whole national citizen thing seems a little weird because we're not really unified uh, as a, under a national identity as much as maybe we were in the past. Oh, you mean so, like Americans? Yeah, Americans or British? Americans is. A, is a geologic thing. It's not a cultural thing. Right. Right. We've split into too many subgroups here well, to that, be considered American culture, I think. That takes us back to that um, really amazing, massively long white paper that you read earlier last year. Culture War. 2.0 and mimetic tribes. Yeah. We're, we're not just U.S. citizens or um, um, just like... Christians are not Christians or Republicans or Democrats anymore. Yeah. We're, we're also, we're constantly like amoeba, you know, like when an amoeba finds a snack and it kind of just like mm, grows mm. around the snack. I never witnessed that. But you haven't? No. 
That was one of my I'll, favorite I'll things about the, science class was go with the, metaphor, the little though. videos of like this this flat thing glorping along and then it finds a snack and then it just melts itself around the snack and it becomes part of the amoeba. Oh. I loved it so much. Anyway, mm. that's what people are doing. They're glorping in and out of various different um, groups based on various identities. Maybe you identify as a woman and you also identify as a video gamer and you also identify as a single mom and you also identify as a Christian and you also identify as a Republican. And these are all different identities that people have. And we have more than just one or two. And you can, you can constantly, you might be someone who grew up as a geek watching Doctor Who and Harry Potter and Sherlock Holmes. And then as you got older, you, for some reason, maybe you got horribly teased about being a geek. And so you moved out of geek culture and now you don't think of yourself as a geek anymore. I was convinced in eighth grade, which would be in the eighties somewhere (laughs) That the Bible really meant to say the geeks will inherit the earth. Instead of the meeks. Instead of the meek. Yeah, it would be the geeks. The geeks. And it seems to be, that's probably... Maybe they will. I feel of, like they kind of are, I know, actually. That's kind of the theme <laughs> of the piece that I wrote today. We'll, we'll, we'll get to I wrote a little piece. I'm really interested in this idea of 4IR. Four, oh, fourth Industrial the fourth, Revolution. The Fourth Industrial Re- Revolution, Revolution. The Great Reset. Pickled my brain a little bit. Mm. Uh, it, what an it, interesting term. The brine of of the idea of a new reality is definitely changing the flavor of my thoughts these mm. days. Um, so I, I, I want to talk a little bit about where we are. Um, and when I say we, what does that mean? Does that mean we as people Dark in and America? We as Dark and Ainsley, we as Americans. America. We as progressives, we as Democrats, we as Republicans, we as Americans, we, we as, as white humans, people. we as life forms. I, you know, so we, yeah, I'd humans like as about, opposed to other things being alive. We have to qualify a lot of things to communicate clearly. And other people, there, there is definitely a personality type that gets really frustrated about qualifying information. Just tell me what you're talking about. Yeah, well, I'm what sorry. What do you mean it's in simple difficult. terms? It's difficult. Yeah, we can't do that anymore. Sorry. Life is too complicated for us to get anything done productively while assuming that we all know what, we, what we're talking about. So I want to kind of try to put, us, uh, to put my finger on the map and try to figure out where we are and who we are. We? Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about we'll that. We'll talk about that later, but I think it would be... Uh, I've really been enjoying opening up the show each week, talking about, I guess the best way I could put it, is uh, recent orthodoxies. The recent orthodoxy. Or the recent orthodoxy oh, right. that, that we are questioning. We have a few. There's yeah. um, the QAnoners and the Child Traffic Awareness Team. Oh, those are orthodoxies going on. And then there's the Black Lives Matter group. That's an orthodoxy. And then there's the maskers and the no maskers. That's a whole, uh, the masturbate. The mas- masturbate. Say that 10 times fast and try not to laugh. Just say it three times fast and you already get there. <laughs> the mask debate. Da, da, da. <laughs> the mass debate. That's just for the guys. Uh, the mass debate <laughs> is... Um, this is a, community again, radio, okay? This, this show, when we say we're talking about the debate over yes and no on mask... People are like, there's no debate. Shut up. I would like to clarify that we're talking about the phenomena around taking a medical issue and making it a political issue. Mm. I think that is worth talking about outside the scope of yes or no, right or wrong, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I'm also not a big fan of that paradigm either. Well, it doesn't really exist outside of human social rules. Right. That construct of do you wear a mask in public? Yes or no. 
what does that do? All that does is figure out whether you like somebody or don't like somebody based on the dogma that you're currently uh, laboring under because it is a dogma when you break it down into these black and white things. We're talking about a medical issue. Yes. And we're we not should, talking about a political issue. No, it's a scientific issue and we should be we should be doing as much research as possible to figure out what the actual science is. So if you say do you wear a mask yes or no, you're taking a science issue and making it political. And making us all dumber in the process, which I would also like to talk about. Right. Um, we keep dumbing down our information. That's the that's the message that I'm getting about the mask. Is the mask? Uh, somebody had a nice allegory today of uh, the peak of the virus globally was in March. Globally. Yeah. Right. The which peak, is normal the for peak viruses. Of people dying mm-hmm. was in March. So we caught up to the idea there was a virus in March. Yeah. At the peak of people dying, that's when it got our attention. People have been, fewer and fewer people have die, have been dying since March. Yes. So. The death rate is going down. Right. In in fact. And now the, we're. The, and, all yeah. the deaths death rate has been going down. Right. Like. All deaths. All deaths from any kind of death is less right now than it would be normally this time of year. Uh, well, that's great. So we're dying less. In this, in the scope or the mm-hmm. or the story or the narrative of the virus, the deaths have been going down steadily since March. Now we're having a mass debate session about whether or not we should be all locking down again and wearing masks, mm-hmm. and that seems to be regardless of what the death toll is. So right. somebody said an analogy is like that's like putting on a common uh, a condom after you've finished your session. Right. There. It's uh, too late. The virus has done its thing. It's gone out and about. It's already in the world. It's in the world. And now the testing is just figuring out the scope of its spread. Right. The people who are dying are people who are compromised and elderly who we should be focusing on and not, who are the not people, everybody else. The people who always Yes. die so, unfortunately. Where did I start going off on this whole thing? Um, I remember at some point you were talking about information making, uh, the, the, hmm, I don't the dogmas, know. dogmas, orthodoxies. So yeah, I'm interested in talking about this mask debate mm-hmm. because it's a hot button issue. It's cost us friends. Some people have stopped listening to the show. See you never. Because we started questioning some of the phenomena mm-hmm. of the debate around wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, when it's appropriate, when it's inappropriate, when it's useful, when it's harmful. Right. These are things that I would think conscientious folks who are concerned about a medical issue would like to have a conversation about, but I'm not finding that to be the case. No, people That's why just, doing people are sick of talking about coronavirus yes people all over the no, place no they're not no well but that's the thing they're sick of talking about it they're sick of it being a thing they're sick of it affecting their lives and so they just want to know what to do to make it go away Who's and some people think we should definitely wear masks to make it go away and some people think we must definitely go back to normal to make it go away that's why i think we should be talking about the issue of the mask of the this virus the story of the virus mm-hmm. what we were told to expect what Data is has showing. Has come out since then. Yeah, data has come out. We, this is the, the 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 thrill of time. Is that <laughs> since we've and been watching this process. stuff since January or mm-hmm. so, since we've been watching it, we've accumulated data. Data tells a story. Mm-hmm. Data is not an emotional thing. 
You can feel things about the data. But the data is not an emotions but thing. The data isn't there because it wants to be. Right. It just is there because it's been observed. It, it's been recorded. So and th- sometimes and data, data can be calculated. twisted. Right. And that's why it's not easy, unfortunately. If you're wondering where we're getting our research from, we've gotten way better over the past couple of weeks about sharing links to our Facebook page, um, facebook.com slash post-orthodoxy, because we want you to know what the kind of work that we're putting into these shows. We're not just saying stuff out our butts for no reason. I posted a ton of links uh, to sources that I've been perusing Mm -hmm. in preparation for today's show. So if you want to say, where'd you get that information? You can probably find it on... uh, the thread that I shared today on our post-Orthodoxy Facebook page. Well, and uh, so, something that's really difficult is that as technologies rise and fall, and mostly rise and then become, we become bored of them. They don't really fall, but they rise and we become bored of them, or something else arises, right? So technologies arise. Uh, people that did not grow up with those technologies have feelings about having to learn a new technology. Yeah, I have feelings. I have feelings about having to learn new social media platforms. I know if I were really going to be hip with the times, I would not only be using, I would be using more than Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. I really need to be on Twitter. I really need to be on Snapchat and TikTok. I've moved to Twitter a little bit (sighs) and I'm having to learn the new thing. And I'm groaning about it. Yeah. And I'm only 32. Erroneous. Like Facebook is old news, guys. Yeah. That's That's not where the stuff is happening. There's a whole brain trust of our population that is not interacting on Facebook. The, as so most of the new generations. Your view of the world is, is missing skewed. some very, very vital components because they don't do Facebook. Most people under 30. Yeah. And then there arises, unfortunately, this kind of ageism of like, well, I don't need to know what people under 30 are thinking because I know I was crazy and irresponsible when mm-hmm. I was under 30 and I didn't know what the world was like and now I know and so I definitely don't need to be conversing with them. But guys, I'm here to tell you uh, the times (laughs) they are a changing oh yeah some things are changing around right now and unfortunately there's a kind of ah almost fanboy resistance to uh the internet people who didn't grow up with the internet yeah have gotten into their heads that you can't learn things from the internet Right. There is a whole scads of humans on the planet. Like anybody who like if you encountered the internet when you were 30, you're only 60 now. So anybody over 50 or 60 is oftentimes a person who grew up finding information from parents, teachers, pastors, politicians, Mm. and libraries. Hey, that's the theme of my piece that I wrote. The newspaper. Yeah. The radio. Yeah. The TV. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the internet happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s. It became a widespread phenomenon that people had in their houses. Right. And you could go to their hands and then it came to your hands. But for a while it was in people's houses where you could go to the computer and say, how do I make banana bread? And then you could know how to make banana bread or you want like, I want to know all the parts of a pirate ship and you could know all the parts of a pirate ship. But if you didn't grow up with that accessibility in your mind, Mm -hmm. um, you might be habitually missing out on that possibility. And in fact, as often happens when people who don't know a thing want to feel good about themselves, about not knowing a thing, the people who aren't familiar with using the internet as a tool, which can be people of any age, are dissing people who are using the internet as a tool and saying, uh, what are your sources? And I don't mean Google, as if Google itself is a source. Yeah, I need you to quote Funkin' Wagnall. Share some real sources, not Twitter. I'm like, okay, so the fact that I have a Nobel laureate on Twitter who is a Stanford professor of biophysics with a PhD from Cambridge, 
it's still Twitter, so it's just still wrong. Oh, you got that from Twitter? Yes. From the Cambridge professor yeah. on Twitter? Ugh. Social media is not a valid source. Whatever. Sorry, guys. Life is more complicated than that. And you can find valid sources online, and Dark and I do all the time. And we're here to share them with you. Yeah, that's our new catch line. If you could know what was going on. You could know if you wanted to know. Uh, you can uh, boost your bias. Or you could actually be a little more agnostic and try to get beyond your own bias and find out what is going on. Right. The, the, the power to do so has never been greater. You and I have, to some degree, Ainsley Sevier, Dark Sevier, stepped away from the platform of Facebook. <sighs> I don't try to have productive conversations with people on Facebook as much as I used to. My medication is like... My, my, Your my, what? My, meta, my, my medication? motivation... Medication? Meditation? My meditation. That's probably what it is. <laughs> my meditation lately has been, while being on Facebook, going, okay, no, I don't need to say that. Yep. <gasps> no, I'm just going to leave it. I won't go anywhere. <laughs> I get about three or four words in, and then I'm like, nope. Because then I'm going to have to deal with... People being mad about what you say. And then I have to back up everything that I said, which I, I wouldn't say if I couldn't back up, but then it t ends up taking time... Rather than into talking... This, into this, like, <sighs> I... I've become too frustrated. There's some bridges that are harder to build backwards. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in building sort of a larger bridge forward. And right. there's a lot of different bridges going backwards. And I just don't, you know. Well, and that's a really, uh, we do our best to be compassionate about the places that we came from. Yeah, right. I mean, I came from like a super repressed purity culture, homeschool, the earth has only been around for 10,000 years place. Oh, the old earth guys. And I don't think of that as a worse place than I am right now. I don't think of that as a stupider place than uh, the place that I am right now. But I place. do understand it's a different place yep. than the place that I am right now. And that I had to work really hard to get from there to here. And I do my best to keep those bridges open back to where I came from because I love those people very much. And some of them might one day want to go to a different place and maybe I can help them find a different place than thinking the earth is 10,000 years old. But I also want to invest in work that moves forward, yeah. which means that there are some people who are around the same place or even in, in a further along part of the journey than I am. Mm. And working with those people yeah. will progress the journey. Whereas waiting on the edge of the bridge for the folks on the other side of the bridge to maybe walk across someday is, is holding me back from yep. getting some work done. Right. So we've taken a half hour, first half hour of the show to say this is a show about changing your minds. <laughs> we got to say it over and over again because people are like, I like your show, but I don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I like your show. I don't agree with most of it. Well, we hear that a lot. I, I echo the same feelings. I don't agree with most of our show either because it changes week to week. Mm -hmm. I learn new things and things that I said last week, maybe I don't not so much. My feelings... And my education level mm. about the novel coronavirus 2019 yeah. have changed over the past four months. Yeah, definitely. A lot. Yes. I started off bleaching everything. Right. So that, that's where I started off with is that we, we sort of left the social media thing. Um, you saw a post on Facebook. <laughs> it was a commercial newspaper article mm -hmm. about coronavirus cases in Butte. Mm-hmm. And you've you've been doing a lot of work around 
what happened when you responded to that article? It's been really educational for me. I think one of the best ways that we learn is by saying what's in our heads and then deciding if that's really what we think or not. And we have such a phobia in this country right now around saying the wrong thing that a lot of the times we just don't ever say what we're thinking. And so we don't really know if that's really what we think or not. Right. So when I see a Montana Standard piece Mm -hmm. saying... X amount of coronaviruses in Butte. Mm-hmm. To me, that is a generic statement. Yeah. The implications of which are going to be different for every person. Every person that reads that headline is going to have different feelings about that headline. Some people are going to be alarmed by the number. Some people won't care about the number. Some people... Will think they're being lied to. Don't know the difference between coronavirus cases and people who are actually getting sick versus people who are asymptomatic. I would say that's most people. There's a lot of different interpretations of the headline. Mm -hmm. And And the news, granted, they've created something. They've created a headline and told you a story. Right. That says, we have found X amount of cases. They are telling you a fact. They've told you a fact. We found X amount of cases. However... And what does that fact make you feel... (laughs) What is, does that fact actually tell you? Is but, why I've left Facebook. Right. What right. does that fact actually tell you versus what you assume that fact is telling you? Right. So are we going to talk about that now? Let's talk about that now. Okay. So the Montana Standard put out an article on Friday, I believe, that said Butte Silver Bow County adds nine new corona, uh, COVID-19 cases. Nine new cases. Now, scientifically, there's a difference between a virus floating around on the planet and the illnesses that animals and humans have when a virus overloads in their system. Right. So you can be encountering influenza viruses floating around, but that doesn't mean you're going to get pneumonia or bronchitis. You will encounter some coronaviruses floating around, but that doesn't... you may or may not get sick. You may or may not develop MERS. What's MERS? MERS is a planetary outbreak that occurred in 2012, 2015, and 2018, and it had uh, it, it was from a coronavirus. A so it, it was one at of the, the time. Cor- it was a novel virus. Yeah, it just showed up, and then it was we a didn't new, have an immunity to it. It went from animals to humans, which okay. is what happens: is right. a virus originates generally in the animal community, mm. and then because of some reason or another, it gets released into the human community. Because we're also animals, <laughs> and um, and MERS had outbreaks in 2012, 2015, and 2018 and had a 37% mortality rate. That's high. It's really high. A lot of people who got sick with the MERS virus um, died, Mm. unfortunately. Right. But not everybody does. Not everybody who encounters a rhinovirus develops the symptoms of the common cold. And so when I saw this headline from the Montana Standard saying, adds nine new COVID-19 cases. Okay. The first thing that pinged up for me is that scientifically, according to, say, John Hopkins University, the National Institute for Health, and the CDC, mm. COVID-19 is the name of the symptoms that someone develops when they are sick from an overload of SARS-CoV-2, which is the actual new virus, a secondary version of the original SARS virus from okay. 2002. Okay. So... We had a SARS outbreak in 2002. That had a 9.2% mortality rate. Wow. Much less than MERS. And that virus uh, mutated. And another, another um, what's the word? Not family. But another version mutation, of that virus. Yeah. It's not a mutation. It's oh. a something or other. It's a, it starts with an S. 
uh, serotype. Oh. Another serotype of that virus, SARS-CoV-2, number two is the second one, mm. um, was released into the human population sometime last fall. We're okay. thinking probably November, November December right. was when the first quote-unquote recorded case of it so was. So they call it novel because humans have not uh, grappled with that virus yet, Mm-mm. and so we don't have the antibodies and so on right. and so forth. Coronavirus So the idea of herd Im- uh, immunity... Hasn't happened yet for that one. When the virus comes out, that when... And this is what I've been looking into, mm-hmm. um, the Nobel laureate um, Cambridge professor who teaches at Stanford... Michael Levitt. Michael Levitt. It said that they're looking around 15 to 20 percent. Once 15 to 20 percent of the population has encountered the virus, then herd immunity becomes. Uh, uh, we reach herd immunity, and uh, the virus drops off in severity. Yeah, and that so, happens all the time with viruses. That, well, so we're tracking this virus, and it seems to be on track with other mm-hmm. flu viruses, in that we've been dealing with this since November. Uh, herd immunity is being reached. I think they said the more the mortality rate in England right now is zero point zero six percent. So really? it's not even one percent. So in, in London, uh, globally, England, in England, in England, yeah. So globally, um, so speaking of just coronaviruses, right? Right. The Mer- the SARS outbreak in two thousand and two that had a nine point two percent mortality rate so that's a scary that's, that's a scary, a scary number mers yeah. from 2012 2015 and 2018 had a 37 percent mortality rate and even though that's like far more millions of up, people yeah. have come in contact with and tested positive for coming in contact with sars-cov-2 our mortality rate is still only 3.7 which is pretty high it's it's high but it's not like omg high right right like these other outbreaks right so anyway, we're, we're evaluating this Montana Standard headline. Okay. So the first thing that came to mind is that um, people have been using the word coronavirus and the word COVID-19 interchangeably to mean the same thing. When the actual virus is SARS-CoV-2 and it's in the family of coronaviruses, coronaviruses and rhinoviruses are the top two viruses on the planet that cause the common cold symptoms. SARS-CoV-2 is this new version of the SARS virus that originated in China sometime last fall. And SARS-CoV-2 has been named the illness symptoms that you develop from SARS-CoV-2 if you become sick, those illness symptoms are under the name COVID-19. And so Butte Silverbow adds nine new COVID-19 cases. What that ought to mean scientifically is that there are nine new sick people in hospitals. Why why should it mean that? Because COVID-19 is the name for the symptoms of illness when you encounter SARS-CoV-2. If you encounter SARS-CoV-2 and you don't develop any symptoms, you don't have COVID-19. Oh, oh. Yeah, much like... So you could test positive for COVID-19... Mm, you and can, not have COVID-19? Yes, if people aren't using the right terms. Wow. And this is where finding your own information gets really complicated. And uh, it, we're not supposed to just trust anybody blindly. You're also, you must not do your own research according to Forbes magazine. Right, according to Forbes magazine. from You must not do your own research. Right. Well, uh, so I guess I'm a rebel. So I read the whole article and they, the information, they did give you some additional information. It's not just that there are nine positive tests today. 
It's that oh. there are nine positive tests, and I think they said two are males in their 30s, and one is a teenager who's a female, and they kind of gave you the age and gender age breakdown. Brackets, right. Age and gender breakdown of those nine positive test kits. And how many were sick? They didn't say. So most of the people that test positive... Aren't sick. We know this. It's over eighty percent. I think it's way over eighty percent. It's it's pushing into the nineties now. It's pushing into the ninety percent now. The more tests that the planet does, the more that so, it's becoming apparent that most people who have SARS-CoV-2 in their system and test positive for it are not actually sick. They're, they're just carrying the virus right. around. So another way to say what the newspaper was saying is nine people are not sick. Well, we don't know if they're sick or not. We don't know. They but they could us. have they could have said there um Butte Silverbow adds nine new okay. positive test kits. Okay, so we have nine positive test kits, which again have shown like I think what the number that I've seen is thirty percent rate of not being accurate. Yeah, unfortunately. Depending on which test you're using. Depending on and that's another question. And we're gonna get into that later because oh, actually the, the main test that the C D C is recommending US hospitals and labs use is a test that simultaneously tests for SARS CoV two as well as influenza A and B because they say that way we can get a picture on this year's flu season at the same time as we're testing for the pandemic virus. I'm a little disturbed at the number. When they say hundred and sixty six thousand people have died and Trump did it. I'm not a Trump fan. That guy kind of creeps me and grosses me out. But a lot of people die from the flu every year. Yeah. where What's that number? I think it's about this, not a little lower than 166,000. So when they say 166,000 have died from COVID-19, uh-huh. I don't know if that's accurate. I feel like there is plenty of cases of wacky things going on with the data for me to be suspicious yeah. that all of those deaths were SARS-CoV-2 deaths. I know CDC was lumping regular influenza in with SARS-CoV-2. So mm-hmm. when people say, oh my God, 166,000 have died of this virus, mm-hmm. that means that like 80% of those people didn't die from the flu this year. They died from, the, who might have died just from the regular flu. Right. But so be- the numbers would really be like the people who, because of this virus, we lost because of this particular virus and not because of a regular flu, et cetera, is nowhere near 166,000 or whatever they're saying. It's nowhere near that. I would probably have to hear that sentence again to know what you were trying to say. Well, so when <clears throat> they say, so Heather Cox Richardson, she's <clears throat> a historian she's a historian who has become a Facebook news lady who's, who's constantly talking about what's going on. And she says 166,000 people have died from the coronavirus. Anybody who says they have died from the coronavirus instead of died with the coronavirus, I'm, I, I start to get a little skeptical about their journalistic integrity because that is a very important distinction. The most famous case is a teenager who died in a car accident. Yeah, we've heard that story. But I know, but so be, many if stories. that story exists, there yeah. are lots and lots of other okay, ones. Granted. I'm just saying. So people are dying with coronavirus that did not die because of coronavirus. No. Yes, that's correct. No, they did not die People, of SARS-CoV-2. So I could be a healthy person yeah. who tests positive for coronavirus, mm-hmm. and then I get 
bronchitis? Is that because of the virus? Well, that's part of the research that I've been doing this week about around the test kits is that bronchitis and pneumonia can be a set of symptoms that you have in your body and your lungs from an overload of a viral infection. Okay. Or they could be a set of symptoms caused by a bacteria. Viruses and bacteria are different. Right. Bronchitis and pneumonia, you can have bacterial bronchitis and bacterial pneumonia caused by a bad bacteria that got into you. But you can also develop pneumonia and bronchitis symptoms just from having an overload of your immune system from a viral infection. So that's the problem that I'm having. When they say 166,000 people died of coronavirus, that doesn't feel like an accurate number. It doesn't give us a uh, any kind of real insight as to what we're dealing with in the world in relation to this virus. So let's keep stepping through this Please. Montana Standard article Please. because uh, all I was hoping to do, and I've just sort of taken to commenting on any time they add new cases to the county because I can't help everyone, but I thought maybe I could help people in my town um, evaluate the information that's being given yeah, to them. Yeah, let's evaluate the information. So when they say... Nine new positive test kits in Butte Silver Bow. Yeah. And they tell you the age range and the genders of those test kits. Yeah. All they're telling you is something that we already know, which is that viruses live on the planet and in people. If they told us how many of those nine people were sick, we would have a better idea of how much people in Butte are susceptible to the illnesses. Right. Because it varies from town to town and from region of the planet to region of the planet. It has to do with your uh, pollution. It has to do with your weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, a lot, it has to do a lot with genetics yeah. and your genetic predisposition to viral infections. Health levels, yep. obesity levels. So they're not telling yeah. you, if they told you there are nine new positive test kits, one person was considered medically obese, one person had hypertension, one person was a diabetic, and three people had no known pre-existing conditions. That's a different set of data. That would give us actual information for people to go home and be like, hmm, I don't have any of those pre-existing conditions, but my grandma dot, dot, dot. I right. should probably be more careful. Right. That sort of thing. Right. So all I said was how many of these nine people whose test results came back positive are people who are suffering illness symptoms versus people who have no illness and are just carrying the virus around in their system? Like at least 20% of the country is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And a lady who commented on the public forum of the Montana Standards Facebook page, but for reasons I'm not going to bother Remain saying nameless. any names, yes. a lady said, this is the stupidest thing I have heard yet about this virus. Clearly, you need to educate yourself. Biology 101. They have a specific test for this virus. This is not a flu. It is not SARS. And it's people like you who do not take this seriously that put everyone else who does and I think she meant in danger. Yeah. And it's that attitude that is a slap in the face to healthcare workers and oh. people who have died. And I already know I'm going to get attacked for this. Oh, 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 there's a lot to unpack in that comment. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that she so said she attacked you. Her first sentence is this is the stupidest thing I've heard yet about this virus. I was not making any data claims in my comment. No, I was asking a question. You asked a question. I and said, she said that was the stupidest thing she's heard. Yes. This is, uh, this is what happens when you venture into questioning orthodox perspectives. And the orthodox perspective for people who are afraid of the effects of SARS-CoV-2 on the planet is that it's bad and dangerous and you need to follow the experts' rules or you're going to kill me. Just believe what the newspaper says. Believe the experts because... Which doesn't even make sense because well, and later on it's she's, not a lot of information. It's not, it's not a lot of information. Later on she said, you're not a doctor, so stop it. You're not a doctor... So don't ask questions. Yes. 
This is the new priesthood, the medical priesthood that we're dealing with. She also brought up they have a specific test for this virus. It is not the flu and it is not SARS. So okay. they don't have a specific test for SARS-CoV-2. They don't? The CDC has made it very clear on their website, and so has John Hopkins, that they have a set of reagents which will show the genetic information of SARS-CoV-2 RNA to be present and also influenza A and B. Okay. Or you have another test. So when you have a coronavirus positive test, mm -hmm. it could be SARS-CoV-2 or it could be regular influenza. Is then that right? that's the part that I can't find anywhere. I tried oh. calling some medical institutions this week and people are just not telling you what test they're doing or what lab they're sending it to. But as far as I could tell from like top medical websites online, I don't know if when a positive test kit comes back, they can see this person is positive for SARS-CoV-2 and negative for influenza B or positive for influenza B, but negative for SARS-CoV-2, or if it's just positive, positive or negative. If it's any of those. I don't know. I read through the patient information. I read through Seems the provider like information. I even read how they add the reagents to figure out the evidence of the RNA. and the blah, 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 blah. It's a lot of information. It's not easy. It seems like we should be able to find that out. This lady who commented to me on Facebook said, this is not a flu, and she's correct. Okay. Now, when civilians in the U.S. say flu, they might mean the stomach bug. Mm -hmm. Or they might mean influenza, which is non-vaccinatable because it mutates too fast uh, and generally means respiratory problems. Mm. Influenza is generally respiratory. The flu is generally stomach and gastrointestinal. And a lot of people also say, oh, I have the flu when they're talking about common cold symptoms. Uh, so it becomes really difficult in these conversations to mm. like figure out what the heck are we talking about? We, we could know though. We could take the time to do the work to know. Um, so she's correct. Technically, scientifically, SARS-CoV-2 and coronaviruses are not attached medically, scientifically to influenza A and B, which is its own strain of viruses. Okay. Influenza, for historical context, uh, one of the influenza viruses was the H1N1 virus, mm. which caused the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 mm. and the swine flu pandemic in 2009. Those were both caused by H1N1, which was an influenza virus and not a coronavirus. Okay. She also said it's not SARS, which unfortunately is incorrect, medically uh, speaking. And she goes on later to list several uh, societally meaningful medical <laughs> credentials. All right. She's a certified nurse's assistant. Oh, okay. She has a son who's had diabetes his whole life. She's up in the information about science and medicine more than a lot of civilians are. Okay. But... COVID-19 slash colloquially called coronavirus is actually SARS. It's just not original SARS. It's SARS-2. SARS-2. Yeah. Okay. It's a mutation Serotype. serotype okay. A serotype of the original SARS. Very good. And then, unfortunately for her saying that she was going to get attacked, she then attacked me by... She uh, attacked you. She attacked and me. Said, I know I'm going to get attacked <laughs> for attacking you. Right. And okay. she said, it's people like you who do not take this seriously that put everyone else who does in danger. And it's that attitude that is a slap in the face to healthcare workers and the people who have died. So... So you don't care. To, to reiterate, all I did was say... This data doesn't tell us anything we don't already know, which is that viruses live on the planet. How many people are actually sick and how many of those people had pre-existing conditions? Give us some actual data that will actually help us protect ourselves and know how this virus behaves. And protect our loved ones that might be more at risk than others. Yes. Yeah. 
give us that information. So please. we went back and forth a lot. Yeah. And she uh, she shared some information from the CDC, and I shared some information from the CDC. Okay. And people jumped on board. There is generally an idea out there that the government has made a test kit specifically for SARS-CoV-2. But do we know that? Here's what the CDC says. The CDC's newest laboratory test detects two types of influenza viruses, A and B. Those are the ones that most commonly infect humans. Okay. And SARS-CoV-2 at the same time. This test is called the CDC Influenza CoV-2 Multiplex Assay. Oh. A single test that diagnoses current infection with one or more of these viruses. One or more of the viruses. Will allow public health laboratories to continue influenza surveillance while they are also testing for SARS-CoV-2. So what, what about the, the test that just tests for COVID-19? Let's go to the CDC website, shall we? Yeah. Because there's... Because I think people assume that there's just a test testing for COVID-19. Uh, yeah, they do. Okay. They do assume that. Oh, we don't know? We could know that. We should be able to know that. We, we should be able to know that. Okay. That should be a known um, quantity. CDC's diagnostic test for COVID-19 only and supplies. So this is not the most current test. Oh, the test, that's not the one we've been using? No. The, the test that this, the, he, they've got it in a big yellow box at the top of the page. In oh. addition to this test, the CDC has developed a diagnostic test that can be used to test for SARS-CoV-2 and influenza A and B viruses at the same time. This test is called the CDC SARS-CoV-2 multiplex assay. So at the top of this page about the only COVID-19 test, they're like, but we we've developed one. this newer one which tests for three viruses at the same time. So the CDC 2019 novel coronavirus real-time reverse transcriptorase RT-PCR diagnostic panel detects the SARS-CoV-2 virus in upper and lower respiratory specimens. It's designed to be used with an existing RT-PCR test instrument kit, and that kit is commonly used to test for seasonal influenza viruses. This kit, the RT-PCA kit that they're using as a vehicle for the COVID-19 specific test oh. that is not their favorite test. Okay. This RT-PCR test kit has been shown to have an over 30% false positive or false negative results. The RT-PCR, if you hear people talking about test kits coming back incorrect, RT-PCR is the one. You've seen the, the stories that go around. Some of them are just viral news, and some of them have actually been verified of people in medical professional positions sending in unused test kits and, and getting back positives. Positive. So yeah. the RT-PCR test kit, was that was the one that was even denounced by its creator as a not very good. He's like, I made it, but it's not very accurate. Which, which test? The RT-PCR test kit. Oh, he's the, right. That right. was from like three weeks ago. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so much data has been crammed in since then. Right, I don't right. remember the guy's name. Um, so the USDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration gave emergency use authorization for this test, the COVID-19 only attached to the 30% incorrect results RT-PCA test kit on February 4th, 2020. They've got the instructions for use on their website and the authorizations. They tell you how to order one if you're a medical professional. They tell you all the materials that are included in the diagnostic panel and what you will need to do in order to administer that test. And then they've got the fact sheet for patients 2019 if you're getting the RT-PCR real-time diagnostic panel. It answers questions like, what is COVID-19? And this is where the CDC says COVID-19 is called 
the COVID-19 is caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So here's the CDC again reiterating that COVID-19 is the name of the illness symptoms that you get sometimes if you've encountered SARS-CoV-2, which is the actual virus, right? So this test kit is designed to detect the virus that causes COVID-19 in respiratory specimens, for example, nasal or oral swabs. Mm. (sighs) I feel like I've been talking a lot. (laughs) Well, so I understand why people say just wear a mask. Because it's easier than all this crap. It's easier than all this crap. But I think all this crap is really important to be making informed decisions. And again, I think as long as we keep dumbing the information down, we're not going to get any smarter as a culture, as a society. We can't just keep saying, just wear a mask and shut up. Mm -hmm. We can't keep talking about all these people died of coronavirus when that's not true. We know that's not true. That's not true. Those num no, some of those people died of diabetic shock. Some of those people died of hypertension. Some of those people died of viral pneumonia. Yeah. So we I think it's important to go to wade through some of this mm-hmm. crap. Okay. So on the patient fact sheet for the quote unquote only COVID nineteen test kit. So this is where people are getting the idea that there's a good test out there that will just test for COVID nineteen. It says, What does it mean if I have a negative test result? A negative test result means that the virus that causes COVID-19 was not found in your sample. However, it is possible for this test to give a negative result that's incorrect Mm -hmm. in some people that do have COVID-19 symptoms. This means you could possibly still have COVID-19 even though the test result is negative. The healthcare provider is going to consider your test result as well as your symptoms, your possible exposure, so that's contact tracing, and the geographic location of places you have traveled recently in deciding how to care for you. Hmm. So they're using a bunch of correlatory data to try to figure out if you probably have it or probably not because the test is not 100% accurate. Okay. Is this test FDA approved or cleared? No, it is not. This test is not yet approved or cleared by the United States Federal Drug Administration. There are no FDA approved or cleared tests available and other criteria having been met, the FDA was able to make this test available under an emergency access mechanism. So what does that mean? It kind of sounds like to me that this test hasn't been rigorously tested for accuracy, but because it was an emergency and it's better to have 70% correct results than no results at all, let's just use it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, let's go see what the CDC wants you to take as a test instead of this just COVID-19 RT-PCR 30% inaccuracy test. Okay. What do they want us to do? They want you to use the multiplex assay that tests for flu and COVID-19. So then if you tested positive, you could have COVID-19 and or a flu virus. Influenza A or B, which is a different family of viruses than the coronavirus. But it would be counted as a possible as a positive COVID test. That is what we, the civilians, do not know. They oh. don't say whether or not they differentiate positive influenza test results from positive SARS-CoV-2 test results. They're right. not letting us know, which with the other information that I have about Fishy, fishy stuff makes me assume they're probably just lumping all the positives together, whether it was positive for influenza or positive for SARS-CoV-2. So the answer to that question is not readily available. It's not. And I've looked at John Hopkins, the National Health Institute, plus our local St. James Hospital website and the Southwest Montana Community Health Center website. And neither neither institution says which test they're using, nor do they say whether or not they're lumping together positive influenza cases with positive SARS-CoV-2 cases. It seems like we would want to know that. 
I think for the sake of accurately deciding how the planet should be behaving. Oh, in terms of lockdowns and businesses closing? And we should not know. Going to school? Yeah. Are we just talking about flu season plus some extra SARS-CoV-2 stuff? Or are we really talking about 19 million people being infected with this? Yeah, we don't. It's hard to get that answer. It is very hard to get that answer. So just wear a mask and shut up. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of our friends who uh, is a PhD in science made a good point and continues to make a good point, which is that um, not everybody has the time or the energy or the training to do the kind of research that Dark and I are doing on this radio show. And in some cases, for the better good, it's just easier to just give people a blanket rule to follow because you don't want folks going off and doing their own research and coming to a dangerous and incorrect conclusion. And then spreading memes. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the virus. The virus, the memes are the virus. Yeah. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. For more information about Dark and Ainsley and all our social media linkage, visit betadi.me online. That's betadi.me. Post-orthodoxy. Post-orthodoxy. An outpost in the borderlands. What's outside your reality bubble? Now, back to our show. And we're back. Welcome back, folks. I, I like those bubbles. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice, gentle intro, midro, thingy-majiggy. So we've been wandering down the scientific rabbit hole mm. of... The differences between viruses and bacteria, the differences between viruses, bacteria, and the illnesses that they cause, and the difference between uh, the kinds of tests that are available to you and whether or not those tests are going to tell you much that you don't already know. Right. I did look into a few things. I I follow this guy, uh, Michael Levitt. His son, who is also, I guess, at Stanford, uh, (laughs) has a much more active... Twitter feed than his dad, so he's quoting his dad's stuff a lot, but he's and doing interpreting his own, it. He's doing his own research into this phenomena, and he posted a BBC News article, and the quote from the article says, "Face coverings may not make a big difference alone. However, it's not just the evidence; it also acts as a reminder that those that these are not normal times." And that we've all got to change our behavior. So this is something that Michael Levitt's Stanford professor's son is saying? Yeah, he also is a Stanford professor, Daniel Levitt. He said, they just want us to wear a reminder. So these are not normal times. And even though the mask alone doesn't do much, you have to still social distance. You should be washing your hands. You should be taking care of your hygiene. You got to boost your immune system, blah, 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 blah. For instance, some friends of ours were out at a bar last night sitting outside, which is great, but like six people sitting around one small bistro table, not so great if you believe the current science. And some of them were wearing wearing masks and some of them were not, but that didn't matter very much because it was a birthday party and they were all hugging each other. Yeah. So... So why are you wearing a mask if you're going to do that? Somebody commented on Daniel Levitt's thing saying, well, maybe it would be easier just to just wear hats, let's say, be afraid. <laughs> um, so the mask has a use. And psychologically, there's a, there's a, mostly. Right now we're using it mostly psychologically. We could be using it medically, but we have to make sure everybody's on board. Yeah. We have an unruly population in this country. They don't like to do things they're not told. So they're enforcing wearing a what is turning out to be mostly a symbolic thing. 
it makes people who are afraid of dying feel like they're doing something for themselves and it makes people feel like they're doing something to be a hero which is something that we all want to do we all want to feel like we're making a positive difference in the world and wearing a mask makes you feel like you're making a positive difference in the world there's a magazine online magazine online uh, place called the lancet which has i guess 18 million registered users worldwide and is seen as the authoritative voice in global medicine. Mm. That's a big statement. Oh, wow. It's I a wonder. highly selective medical journal with mm-hmm. only 5% of submitted manuscripts accepted for publication. Okay. Uh, the journal boasts an impact factor of 59.102 as of 2018, no. and I don't know what that means. We have to remember that selectivity can be a fallacy, much okay, like the right. longevity fallacy. Sure. Just because it's highly selective does not mean that that means those are the best of the best and the truest of the true. Highly selective could also mean highly biased. So this is a medical journal. This right. is not but we can Fox hope. News we or can MSNBC hope. quoting something. This is the journal itself. We can hope that a highly selective medical journal means that it's highly vetted and highly, highly checked. Right. So um, there's a there's a quote on an article they just put out where they said government actions such as border closures, full lockdowns, and a high rate of COVID-19 testing were not associated statistically as with statistically significant reductions in the number of critical cases or overall mortality. Better read that one again. Yeah. So government actions such as border closure, full lockdown, and a high rate of COVID testing were not associated with statistically significant reductions in the number of critical cases or overall mortality. So the people who died, it doesn't matter if you had a lockdown or didn't have a lockdown. It doesn't matter if they closed the border or didn't close the border. Uh, It doesn't seem to affect the mortality rate. And uh, testing and tracking, testing and contact tracing isn't affecting mortality rate either. It's not affecting mortality rate. Right. Right. So that's it's almost as Lancet. if it's almost as if viruses have been alive on the planet long, much longer than human society. And they're just going to do what they do. And it doesn't matter. Well, we have a human we have an immune system to deal with viruses. And that's what we're doing right now. So the idea of herd immunity is that we're building herd immunity mm-hmm. so that the virus initially is taking out a lot of the folks who didn't have resistance. And now we are all building resistance and fewer people will be taken out with this virus. That's what's happening right mm-hmm. now. That's the story. People are going to start yelling about you being an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, that's you're, not... You're sharing around a triggering term for people. People what, like what's to... the triggering term? Herd immunity. People so, think nowadays because it's become hip to be anti-vax or hip to be anti-anti-vax <sighs> that if the, the term herd immunity is a key term in the anti-vax community and people are going to start thinking that you want little babies to die and not get their vaccines. Okay, so I'll clarify that. Then, I'm just saying that's what that term has been attached it's a to. That trigger, team. I see, I see. So I would say what they're finding is that once 15 to 20 percent of the population has been exposed to the virus, that mortality rate uh, drops back to below, and that uh, happens to, to normal or below over and over again with, with all with, with all kinds of viruses. Yeah. yeah. So this doesn't seem to be acting uh, aberrantly mm-hmm. than other viruses that we've seen in the past. Well, now that brings up something for me. Um, And this is a live show with our live thoughts. (laughs) This is our live brains working and you get to watch. Um, What about MERS? What about it? Well, MERS was a 
coronavirus that went around the planet in uh, 2012, 2015, and 2018, and it had a 37% mortality rate. Wow, so a lot but, of people died. What happened? But it only infected like 300,000 people. Huh. How did that happen? Obama? <laughs> I don't know. Now you're really playing to the tropes. No, I'm serious. I don't know. No, but like it was mostly outbreaking in the Middle East. That's why it was called the Middle East blah, blah, oh, blah, oh, blah oh, virus. Oh. That's where the M comes from. So it had something to do with that environment, maybe. Maybe being a hot environment. But but like why didn't it travel? I don't know. Like if you look at um, the coronavirus statistics on Wikipedia, which is well, just, I guess because it had a high death rate. They had a high death rate. They were able to isolate where it was faster because there was a trail of bodies, right? Oh, so you start knowing because people are just dropping like flies. An actually pandemic movie level pandemic. Right, people were not dropping like flies from this virus, except for groups of people who were prone to this particular virus, which was the retirement homes. Right. So uh, MERS. Only, there were only, okay, 2,400 confirmed cases of MERS in three different outbreaks. Oh. This is considered one of the deadliest coronaviruses is MERS. Right. Only 2,400 confirmed cases. Confirmed cases. And only 858 deaths. However, that works out to a 37% mortality rate. So maybe there were more cases. Maybe there were more cases. So is that a different number because there wasn't widespread testing for MERS? Maybe. And then SARS had 8,000 global cases between 2002 and 2004, as far as we know. As far as we know. 8,000 global cases, according to the World Health Organization. Summary of probable SARS cases with the onset of illness from November 2002 to July of 2003, so flu season. Um, eight. Of those 8,000 people, only 774 died. So That's, that's a lot t- out of 8,000 people. Well, but that's still only a 9.2% mortality rate. But then it didn't go crazy? No. And there supposedly haven't been any cases of SARS or MERS since then. However, SARS-CoV-2, which is a, hmm. a serotype of SARS, the original SARS from 2002, has had supposedly 19 million cases of people who were, who, who the I guess said we're aware the of that right. due to widespread testing. So did we, I'm just trying to figure out why these, these are the sorts of questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Why are these numbers so drastically different? Are these numbers so drastically different? Did we have the same kind of global testing for MERS and mm. original SARS as we have for SARS-CoV-2? Or was the testing much, much, much less, which yeah. is why we don't have as many cases on record. I don't know anybody who was getting tested for those things. At that time. You just find out when you die? I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But because of this widespread well, the contact test- tracing is important because right. like, if you have like a high percentage mm-hmm. death rate, you want to know who was in touch with who. You want right. to try Where'd to isolate go? it. Right. This, this virus, SARS-CoV-2, is not those viruses, apparently. It's not like with... With it only has a 3.7% death rate. Millions of people getting it and only yeah. a few people dying. That's It's not the same And it creature. still really sucks that people die. Like, yeah. it always sucks sure. that people die. I'm sad that people die. Can I read this little quote from The Spectator about yeah, herd immunity? Mm-hmm. So, The Spectator, it's a magazine. You've heard of it. I have not. Oh, somebody has. <laughs> uh, COVID-19 is a terrible disease, and the primary goal should be to minimize deaths. I think we can all agree on that. How is this done? The key is age. The risk 
of COVID-19 mortality varies more than a thousandfold between the oldest and youngest members of society. Wow. The pandemic will so not... Way, 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 yeah, way, way, yes. way, way, yeah, way yeah. more at risk. A thousand times more at risk if you're older. Yes. The pandemic will not be over until we reach herd immunity, either through a vaccine or through natural infections. So this is not anti-vaxxer, this guy's perspective. Okay. So we either get enough infections that our immune system will build an immunity to it or a vaccine, either way. Herd immunity is not a strategy, but a proven scientific phenomenon. It's not something that we choose to happen. It no. just happens. It's a phenomena that we have named, that we have witnessed and named. So herd immunity is not a strategy, but a proven scientific phenomena. And to deny that is as silly as denying gravity. Uh, with the right strategy, we can even use it to save lives. We could be using the concept of herd immunity to save lives. It's not a concept. I should say we we could jump on it's board. A phenomena. We could jump on board with yeah. what is already naturally happening. The occurring phenomena. Yeah. Yes. Uh, under this vaccine scenario, the right strategy is to protect the elderly and other high risk groups until they are protected by herd immunity, while the younger generations keep society afloat. Under the second scenario of natural immunity, the right strategy is to protect the elderly and other high-risk groups until they are protected by herd immunity, while the younger generation keeps society afloat. If these two strategies sound about the same, they are. So they're saying basically uh, keeping kids out of school and closing all the businesses is not, is, uh, is not going to affect the outcome of the virus. You know, this reminds me of being a kid. So I have another, let me do one more. Well, and the or you do that. I okay. want to say the chicken pox thing. Okay, say it. So when you were a kid, you didn't pretend you weren't going to get chicken pox. You just assumed you were. Your mom said, oh, Hannah has chicken pox. We're going to go hang out at her house today. Until you get them too. Yes, because yeah. it's not like you just get to stay inside forever and never have chicken pox. You right. will eventually get them, and the later in life you get them, the more de detrimental they will be to your health. I never had chicken pox. <gasps> now I'm really worried about you. I know. you got to keep me away from those kids. Okay. So what they're basically saying is the same amount of people on the planet will encounter SARS-CoV-2 and have whatever reactions that they're going to have it's always going to eventually be the same number. Whether we spread that number of encounters and deaths out over four over, years right, right. or we do all of those encounters and deaths in one summer, it's always going to be the same amount of people because that's what viruses do on the planet. They reach a certain level of the population and they kill a certain amount of people and that's just how viruses behave. And so we could continue to just extend the lockdown and the masks and the isolation and then when we come out, of course, people will encounter it and have whatever reaction they're going to have or we could just let the reactions naturally run their course, do our best to protect the actually vulnerable members of society, and come to terms with our own mortality. Yeah. One more paragraph in this spectator thing. It says, how does herd immunity work? As more people obtain immunity, it gets harder for the virus to find new people to infect, and the epidemic will eventually die out before everyone is infected. It's not known how big the group of infected people must be for herd immunity to kick in. I've been hearing 15 to 20%, the sources that I've been looking at. 15 um, to 20% of the planet needs to encounter SARS-CoV-2. Or any particular, like, you know, 
global, you know, like a country or an or an area or an yeah. area of people, right? But it is some percentage of the population. If there are many older people in this group, mortality will be high. If most of them are young, there will be few deaths. In fact, as stated by the world, the world's foremost infectious disease epidemiologist, herd immunity is the only way we can reduce the risk to the vulnerable people in the population. By the way, Sweden has had zero deaths. Since of, when? Of the kids. Well, their, their mortality rate is back to pre-COVID times. That's so interesting and because... no kids died the US from the virus. The U.S. just last in week... In Sweden, right? Right, in Sweden. Well, just last week, a nine-year-old died in Georgia and a seven-year-old died in Florida, or vice versa. Right. So which, um, which I'm... Again, there's a lot of... There's a, there's a, lot, there's a lot of data, of data going data on. data that we need to pile on to that Other to than figure just out what's really going someone on. someone died. <laughs> I need more data. And it's really sad, but we need more data. I have another quick thing to read. And this is by some lady named uh, Stacy Rudin. This is from a, a Real Clear Politics article. There's two little paragraphs I wanted to pull out. She says, uh, from the beginning of time, humans have used mythology to make sense of, of the chaotic natural world. Sir G.I. Gohm dubbed myths quote, the science of a pre-scientific age, unquote. Folklore provided pre-scientific people a comforting sense of control over nature. To address dry spells, they deployed a rain dance. Sunless stretches uh, hindering crops prompted offerings to Helios. Then our ancestors sat back and waited. The rains always came, the sun always re reappeared, validating their wisdom. The illusion of control reinforced. We are faced with a virus with a 997 out of 1,000 people survival rate. We have vanquished fiercer adversaries. We can rid ourselves of this plague less painfully by remembering one simple truth. Neither we nor our politicians have control over death. So the point is, the peak of the deaths was March. Globally. Globally. That doesn't mean it was a peak of the deaths for the U.S. Exactly. So we started implementing masks and lockdowns after the spread had already occurred. Mm -hmm. So it was in our environment waiting for us to come out so of our now, houses. So now if the things start to die off, we can say, this is what I'm understanding from the folks that I've been following. A correlation as opposed to a causation. What they're saying is the virus is going to run its course and you can attribute it like a modern day myth to masks or lockdowns mm -hmm. or testing but there's no evidence showing that those things are affecting. Those two things happened at the same time, they, much like shark attacks happen at the same time that summer happens. But summer does not cause shark attacks. Right. Summer causes people to get in the water, which brings about shark attacks. Right. So, so lockdowns and masks are happening at the same time that cases are in decline. That does not mean those two things are connected. There's no evidence that lockdowns are having a positive effect on the mortality rate of the virus. There's no evidence. Yeah. So uh, people were making fun of Sweden. Sweden is back to pre-COVID levels. People aren't dying from the virus at any alarming rate. They never did lockdown. They never shut down the schools. They were very adamant about social distancing. Don't go around coughing on each other. Stay away if from each other. If you're sick, stay home. Right. If you're sick, stay home. And 
people then pointed to their economy and said, aha, their economy is terrible now because everybody, whatever. Their economy is 45% of their economy is exports. Yeah. So when everybody stopped working and buying things, their economy was hurt. Not because Sweden's they economy, didn't shut down. Yeah, no. Sweden's economy was not hurt by Sweden. Sweden's economy was hurt by everybody else on the planet who stopping were, not buying Sweden stuff anymore. Who were doing the shutdowns. Everybody stopped going to Ikea for a couple months. So it's like Sweden was kind of a blah, control. Blah, blah. They were a control group, it seems mm-hmm. like, in the rest of the world. Yeah. And the control control group has shown that they didn't fare any worse than anybody else at this point. Actually fared a little better. Mm-hmm. So that's something to think about, I guess. I mean... If we want to think about it emotionally for a minute. Okay. Because that's what I always, I mean, I don't know. I guess I felt like pretty young in life. I knew that people wanted certain things to be true. Yeah. And wanted other things to not be true. Right. Uh, When I was still an evangelical young earther, I would always ask people, why do you want evolution to be true? I would want, because my perception was that people wanted evolution to not be true because they didn't want their, they didn't want to owe their existence to someone else. If evolution is true, I don't owe my existence to God or a creator so I can do whatever I want. And that was the conclusion I had come to from the worldview that I was in for the first 27 years. That was the religious thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I still use that tactic because like we said at the beginning of the show, there are facts and then there are feelings about those facts. And oftentimes it's really hard to separate the two. You might just be acting angry towards your roommate for playing loud music at night, but you can't separate the fact that they're playing music from your feelings about them playing music. You just say it's wrong. Okay. Instead of saying, I don't like that you're playing music late at night. Uh. And so the fact of the matter is this virus is doing whatever this virus is going to do. Yeah. And we have feelings about it. (laughs) I, we we have feelings about children being able to go to school. We have feelings about our grandma's not dying. We have feelings about small businesses perishing. We have feelings about not having to wear a mask while you work all day in a hot restaurant just so that people can go out to eat. We have a lot of feelings, right? On both sides, quote unquote, of the scientific factual issue. And confirmation bias leads us to look for information that that, makes us feel better, that matches what we want to be true. Yeah. In this case, I'm constantly evaluating what I might want out of all of this education that I'm giving myself. I think it's very clear to me that I want people to not live in fear. I want to find proof that people can just go back to their daily lives and not be suffering so much. I think I definitely have a desire mm. for people to not be suffering so much. I, would I see like a lot for, of suffering. I'd like our friends to be having a better time. I see a lot of alarm and fear over information that to me doesn't merit the alarm and fear. It just depends on how you're looking mm-hmm. at that information. Well, it right? depends on whether or not you're a person who will probably die or not. And mm. I have friend. No, how you. I know a I lot think of people makes- that really aren't that at risk that are. Uh, no, I know. You know I'm, I'm saying, saying it ought, your feelings about coronavirus facts ought to depend on whether or not you are likely to die. Right. But instead, we just have these two arbitrary, unfortunately, very politically informed groups that if you are on Team Red, you have these feelings about COVID-19. And if you are on Team Blue, you have these feelings about COVID-19. And so 
I think it's really important that I verbalize that I do have a hope, which is that my research, much like any other person who puts out a scientific hypothesis, mm. my hopeful hypothesis is that I will find research to support that people can stop being so afraid. Right, right. That would be great. I am also aware that I have that hypothesis that I am trying to find evidence for. Yeah. A lot of people go out into the world and look for information without being aware that they're trying to prove a particular hypothesis. And that keeps you from being open to data that disproves your hypothesis. Anytime I come across an article like this one from ecowatch.com that says COVID-19 patients developed psychiatric disorders... Anytime I come across something that disproves my hypothesis that we shouldn't all be as afraid as we are, mm -hmm. I read it and yeah. I take it to heart because I'm aware that I have a particular hypothesis I'm trying to prove. Yeah. And in order to truly prove it, I need to consider all the data from all the perspectives. That's a true scientific model where you're willing to have your bias uh, undermined by yes. new information. That's how you do science. You say, I think I have a hypothesis. And then you go and you find out if the information that's out there supports your hypothesis or disproves your hypothesis. I posted an image on our Postal Orthodoxy Facebook page today, and it's two articles that were, that were published on the same day, one in England, one in the United States. And I screenshotted these two articles side by side, and I'll read both of these articles. One article says, 97,000 children reportedly test positive for coronavirus in two weeks as schools gear up for instruction. So that's a headline. That's a headline. Yeah. Saying that 97,000, in the last two weeks, 97,000 children have tested positive for, for this, for coronavirus. Does it say what part of the world it's in? It's, it's CBS this morning. So they're talking about I guess they're talking the about the States. U.S.? There's a paper in the U.K. Mm -hmm. Their headline is, pupils pose no risk of spreading COVID. So... As somebody commented on our post-Orthodoxy page... I'll, I'll read the comment. Both of those yeah. things can be true and that's at the my same point. time. Right. They can be true. Or you can cherry pick and say one is matches my bias, mm -hmm. the other one doesn't, so that one is wrong. So the way that both of those things can be true is that as we test all the little school children as they come back into the buildings, they might all have SARS-CoV-2 in their system because that's how viruses work on the planet. You right. have them in your system. And you also, want the kids to get it. You want the yeah, kids to have like chicken to test positive. And also, and those, not get sick. those kids, the other headline can also be true at the same time. Those thousands of kids that have SARS-CoV-2 in their system could also not actually be at risk of giving it to anybody. Those are, those both could be true. However, most people just pick one headline or the other and they make it mean. Oppositional. They, at, they attach extra information to those headlines. The, the, the uh, 297,000 kids test positive for SARS-CoV-2. They're like, see, the no. children are dying. And they attach they extra attach, information to right. the headline that's not actually there. Right. That's what I'm seeing with my friends in town. Every time we get a new coronavirus case, they act like the apocalypse has arrived. When it's the information is not that interesting. Frankly. I would probably have a positive test kit. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, 167 big sky workers oh, yeah. all had positive all test kits and none of them were none sick. None of them were sick. So They'd all been working are, in close quarters with each other for like eight weeks. They all tested positive because of mandatory job site testing and none of them had ever been sick. Right. So I wrote a little piece. Yeah. Should I read it? 
We yeah. only got half an hour left in the show. I want to hear what you worked on because you worked really hard this week. I did. We both did, and we never have enough time to cover all the information. Makes me grumbly. We really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in to two hours of us saying really complicated stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to try to break this down, and I'm, I have a perspective here. And uh, last week we were talking about the World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. the WEF. Who are they? Do you know? Do I know? I don't really know. We I know, just know. We know sounds, who's in the UN. Well, the World Economic Forum is not a governmental entity. Right. It's a, it's a, I guess, I don't, is it an NGO? Is it a non-governmental organization? Uh, is it a non-profit? No. Is it a, like a club like the Elks? They have partners. They have global partners. Hmm. They have, uh, what they have is stakeholders. This? They what? talk about stakeholders. Global stakeholders. Yeah. So it's a, it's a group of global stakeholders. Hmm. So we talk about the World Economic Forum. And they have one of the most impressive maps I have ever seen. And it, if you go to the website of the World Economic Forum, there is a page. So it's, um, it's a page called Strategic Intelligence. And on the Strategic Intelligence page is this strange science fiction-looking map <laughs> uh, that apparently is 200 levels deep. Oh, a different layers you can pick, like yes. streets or so buildings. So you could say, or- let's look at the global issue of COVID-19. And then there's a ring of circles, eight circles around it. One circle is the media's role during COVID-19. Hmm. Another circle is response and recovery to COVID-19. Another circle is uh, COVID-19's workforce impact. Hmm. Another circle is finding a vaccine. So you can click on one of those circles, and then there's another ring of circles. There's another sheet of papers outside of that that it shows you from the media's role. If I click on the media's role, then it highlights one, two, three, four, four, like like a dozen other subtopics that you can find out information on. So like the media, the media's role has a subtopic uh, about uh, inclusive design. Right. This is a way that you can begin to assimilate information and understand how it's all connected. It's an amazing map. And the, the World Economic Forum is looking at COVID-19 as the launching point for what they call the Great Reset. We talked about that last week. And I tried to talk about it in as uh, agnostic a way possible because I don't know really who the World Economic Forum is. Right. I like the language that they're using. I'm also aware that that language may or may not materialize in the way that they're saying it. I don't know. But I like the language that they're using. They talk about arts and culture in a way that I don't hear presidential candidates talking about arts and culture. Right. So, Which is good when you know how integral arts and culture is to society. Right. So this is a little, I just want to do a little summary of my thoughts on this thing, and then we can talk a little bit okay. about what I uncovered here. Um, <clears throat> the questions that we, that we ask in the show all the time. Some water? <laughs> um, who's in charge? What are the rules? Where are we right now, and where are we going? I think these are good find-your-place-on-the-map questions. As humans. Who's in charge, and what are the rules? Mm. Now we know, and then what's, what's the field? That we're playing on. And what is the game? You know, that's why you want to know what the rules are. Do we are. even know? <laughs> are, are we playing football on a baseball field and getting confused? Like, we need to know what the rules are. And are we playing we have football an of what and the being rules are? judged right. for a soccer game? So we have assumptions about who's in charge based off of propaganda. 
from the state, from the church, from the fourth estate, from family. In the United States, it's not too much of a stretch for us to see and understand how those narratives have failed us. The purpose of democracy, or the premise of democracy, became a bureaucracy which fostered a kleptocracy. That's a lot of words. That is ruled by oligarchs. <laughs> Are we going to break those four words down? Uh, well, democracy, I think we all have an idea what that was supposed to be, but we haven't had that for some time. I don't think a lot of people know that we're not a democracy. Yeah, though. we're not a democracy, yeah. we are, and we're not a democratic republic. Democracy is when you vote, and your vote makes a difference in what right. happens. The premise is that we're a democratic uh, republic. We're not. Right. We're an oligarchy with unlimited uh, political bribery. A bureaucracy is where you have an agency... That is deciding policy. So the citizen elects a representative, which is what is supposed to happen, and the representative appoints somebody that appoints. they pick to run the agencies. To, to run whatever that agency would be, whatever that is. You know, like a bureaucracy. So bureaucratic agencies, that's an actual term. A bureaucratic agency is the Department of State, uh, Securities and Exchange, Homeland Security, Department of the Interior, the United States Department of Education. These are all bureaucratic entities that we do not elect the people. No, we did not elect Betsy DeVos. Right. She was picked by someone. So the idea of a democracy is like you end up getting a bureaucracy when these important agencies are overseen by people you did not elect. Right. And you just hope that the people you did elect had good sense and to... And kleptocracy find. is that's money. when That's when you end up um, electing people who find ways to use the bureaucracies to take money from the state to enrich themselves. Mm. And then, you know, an oligarchy is basically ruled by the powerful, the rich and powerful. Money, money runs the show. So now there's this new term, there's the relatively new kid on the block called a te technocracy. This is the scary word. Oh, in no, the not a technocracy. In the conspiracy realm right now, the technocracy is the new boogeyman. Robots taking our jobs. Right. And is the technocracy an extension of the oligarchies or a threat to their power? Is the technocracy going to save us from Big Daddy's money running the planet, or is the technocracy Big Daddy's money running the planet's minions? We don't know. We don't know. So, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., it's a stage with very powerful players front and center on the stage. But what is the extent of their power, which was supposed to be our power, in the context of a world stage? There are greater forces at work behind the political narrative that we see on the 24-hour news cycle. We think of these guys as powerful. But if you watch our elected representatives question the architects, by the way, that's my new word, A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H-S, architects. So it's like architect, yeah. but it's techie. Architect, T-E-C-H. Yeah, architects. Nice. These are the new overlords of the technocracy. All right. The premise, uh, uh, if you watch our elected representatives question the architects in congressional hearings about their use and abuse of power, it's evident that they can't even fathom the powers that are being used and abused. See, our elected representatives don't know the forces that they're dealing with. They don't know the technology. They don't know the world that those folks are even coming from. They might as well be coming from another planet. The elderly white men in Congress yeah. don't know how to question Mark Zuckerberg about what Facebook is doing with your data. Elderly white men, elderly white women, young white men, like people don't know what is going on with the guys who are running the world right now. Right. Um, Which is the data peeps. Right. Uh, 
state power continues to work from a fundamentalist materialist perspective. State power rewards and punishes the physical units, us as citizens. Uh, it counts us in a census. It compels uh, the young units to attend brick-and-mortar indoctrination facilities. It harvests the energy of the able-bodied, the workforce, to perpetuate this system. And it imprisons the non-compliant. This is what the state does. That's it's true. very material. It's yeah. a very material, flesh-and-bone, brick-and-mortar uh, brick mm-hmm. world. We are human resources more than citizens in this big scheme of things. Yes. We are data units being mined as human resources by the technocracy that holds sway over our planet and is actively reshaping reality. That's very different than what the state is doing. The right. state is dealing with the flesh and bones. The technocracy is creating an entirely different reality that we're not even grappling with yet. So where state power has a physicality, corporate power has become a much more abstract and uh, more powerful than any individual governments. We don't vote for the technocratic elite, but we did create them by Googling, Facebooking, tweeting, Amazoning, etc. We created an environment where someone could gather up power. Yes. We put our power into, into, the, the, into the network, yeah. and smart people with resources came along and gathered up the power that was put in there. Right, so our minds and the data that they generate are the minds of the new emperors. These are the new, these are the M-I-N-E-S. We're being data mined. Yes. Right. So all our, all our information is being data mined. Surveillance capitalism. Right now, Apple Incorporated's market valuation is $1.9 trillion, which is bigger than the gross domestic product of Canada, Russia, or Spain. Wow. You have a company that has more power financial power yeah. than, than Russia, Canada, or Spain. Well, people like to think that their word power or their voting power means something, but it really yeah. is money is God on but, earth right now. And that's what I'm getting to. The bulk of Google's $162 billion revenue oh, geez. in 2019 came from its proprietary advertising service, which heavily relies on data collected from us. You let Google give you, show you ads that relate to your search history so that you're seeing ads for things you are more likely to buy. And, that's and companies pay Google for that service. $162 billion just for that service, in addition to everything else they do. The AIs, the artificial intelligence, knows us better than we know ourselves now. We don't have access to that self-knowledge. Access to that knowledge is a one-way street, and it's not going our way. All of our data is being mined. Right. So but uh, we aren't seeing the results of it. That data is going somewhere. Is it even our planet anymore, or did we sign away the planet uh, with a user agreement? Uh, while we fight over antiquated and irrelevant labels of Republican and liberal mm. and get frothy in the mouth over political performance art, bias porn, and partisan catnip. Bias porn. Your future and the fate of the planet is being decided without your consent or knowledge by people that you have likely never heard of. But you could know who they are and what the big idea is if you wanted to. Yes. You could know who's running the planet right now. Well, we, we've, we're trying to figure out who's running the planet. The World Economic Forum is laying out a plan for an entirely new premise for life on Earth. That's They're their claim. doing it right They're now. They're doing it right now. Your vote in November has almost nothing to do with it. Your candidate for president of the United States, neither one of them have a plan 
or at least not one that matters in the context of what the World Economic Forum is calling the Great Reset. The Great Reset is a stated plan to determine the future of global relations, what will be legal currency for the globe, the direction of national economies, the priorities of societies, the nature of business, and the management of a global commons. And it seems anything else you can think of, they've got a plan for it. They have a map of this plan. You can find it on the World Economic Forum website under the Strategic Intelligence link. Or you can keep making fun of the misarticulations of our elder political candidates. It's your choice. Depends on where you want to spend your energy. Find out what uh, the future holds for you, that people are planning for you. Or you can just keep cheering on your favorite political team. Keep being mad at the guy that doesn't look like your grandpa. That is not, really doesn't have any relevance. It's pretty moot at this point. Uh, A revolution is underway right now, and the architects are laying out the schematics of it. The language and priorities are being refined, and you are being cast in a role in that revolution. This event, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, or 4IR, is characterized by a fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between physical, digital, and biological spheres. That's their words. That's a big idea to get our heads wrapped around, and whether we get it or not, that idea is folding us into it. Is the language of the political candidates that you are voting for, are they using this kind of language? No, they're not using this kind of language. Most of the old folks in our government can't tell you the difference between a browser and an emoji. Mm. They don't have a vision. It's fairly clear. It's just we're not that other guy. Your government is not in control. The rules are being written by folks you don't know. We're in a very real paradigm shift. Our future destinations are being put on the map. The old market forces have captured our attention with prescribed distractions, schoolyard fights, tribal identities, and identity politics. Meanwhile, all of that is being rendered relatively moot by a new story and a new context. You could know what it is if you wanted to. So while we're playing the old games of party politics in the United States, the World Economic Forum is reshaping reality. And probably other organizations are as well. Well, they're the big one, and they have their global partners and their global stakeholders. And if you look at who they're working with, it's people like Apple. Apple, who has a GDP, who has more money than GDP than of countries. at least three different Apple major countries. Apple has more money yeah. than countries, than so, major countries. So you didn't elect Apple. No. But Apple has power. You didn't elect Jeff Bezos, but Bezos, you didn't elect Bill Gates, Mm-mm. but they could not be here without us because we fueled their rise. We know that money is power. A lot of people are in denial that money is power because they don't have very much money, and so they don't like to think that there are people out there that have power over them. But unfortunately, whether you have money or not, money is power, and money makes decisions on the planet right now. So last week, we talked about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution. This week, I I came across a video from uh, a friend of the show, And it is an answer to the World Economic Forum's story about... Because the World Economic Forum is using a bunch of really positive language, like like we're going to save the planet language. We're going to fix things. Yeah, what they're saying is a business can no longer be allowed to grow at the expense of the humans. Yeah, that's what the World Economic Forum is saying they're going to do. Right. Yeah. So (laughs) there is uh, an organization called the mirror project and you have to uh, their their website is mp 
Mirror22.com. It's the Mirror Project Platform. There's a okay. lot of different Mirror Projects, but it's called the Mirror Project Platform, and they have a video that they put out where they are doing their own version of the World Economic Forum map. Huh. Except on a WikiLeaks-style open platform. Here's their tagline, uncensored, anonymous, for the people, by the people. So if you watch the video, the guy has like a really scary, uh, gravelly uh, voice telling you about how, how evil the World Economic Forum is. Right. And that this is the rising opposition. They don't have much of a budget. They're looking for some help. But they're basically saying that the technocracy is going to kill us all or just turn us into a matrix-like uh, pod where they just suck our life energy out. They're already doing it with our data. Right. Um, our but, data is being used. Right. And we don't even know what our data is. That's the point. We don't even know what data we have that is people are finding useful. People are like, oh, no, not my photos. Like, yeah. they're taking so much more than just your it's photo. Not your photos. So the Mirror Project, they have a series of seven videos. The first video came out in May talking about how the World Economic Forum was going to use COVID-19 as a way to roll out the Great Reset, which is basically redefining everything. Society, money, business. Technology. Medicine, everything. Governments. So I like the language of the World Economic Forum. I don't know who's in charge or um, I could find out. I could go dive into the World Economic website and start finding out who to contact who's in charge of all these things. They have nice glossy videos with various people from various fields talking about the promise of this great reset and the fourth industrial revolution and how we're going to live in a utopia. Right. They have all the players that they're talking to. So I don't know how the whole thing's being run, but the Mirror Project is dubious about the World Economic Forum's intentions. And so you can Google their propaganda mp-22.com yeah you can google their propaganda and they'll tell you how you should not listen to the world economic forum and you can also listen to the world economic forum and find out what's in plan for you because that's what it, you're going to find out more about your future from the world economic forum uh, website than you're going to find on joe biden or donald trump's right the world economic i can say forum that very definitively is shaping things that will affect your reality much more than who the president of the United States will affect your reality. Far more. They're making basically all our current systems moot. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to zoom out and be all Star Trek-y about it, it's like, we're not going back to normal. Actually, this is a, I know we got to run. We only got about five <laughs> minutes left in the show. But I found this other little snippet. I'm, I got to be careful about how I read the opening of it because they're all snarky and I don't want to communicate the snarky tone. But somebody found... Uh, somebody from the World Economic Forum talking about the Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Great Reset. And they said, in case, this is a, a friend of the show uh, who will be re remain, remain anonymous. In case you're in any doubt about what is planned for our future or dismiss talk of a wholesale reordering of human society as a conspiracy theory, this is from the in introduction to COVID-19, the Great Reset by World Economic Forum founder Klaus Schwab, and somebody named Thierry Malaret. And this is a quote. So this is coming from that world. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short response is never. Nothing will ever return to the broken sense of normalcy that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. Some analysts call it a major bifurcation. Others 
refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions, but the essence remains the same. The world as we know it in the early months of 2020 is no more, Mm. dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Radical changes of such consequence are coming that some pundits, we would be some of those pundits because we said this back in March, some pundits have referred to a before coronavirus BC and after coronavirus AC era. Mm-hmm. We will continue to be surprised by both the rap- rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes. As they conflate with each other, they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes in doing so. They will shape a new normal, radically different from the one we will be progressively leaving behind. Many of our beliefs and assumptions about what the world could or should look like will be shattered in the process. And this is from the commenter who found this quote. The author then goes on to compare the effects of COVID-19, a virus with an IFR of 0.24%, with the plague of Justinian and the Black Death. It's hard to overstate how absurd these comparisons are historically, scientifically, economically, or on a range of other bases. These were plagues which brought 30 to 50% mortality across the societies they affected. For comparison, the UK mortality from COVID is 0.069%. What we face is the plague of reaction. The plague brought by men like Schwab and the politicians, institutions, and foundations they control. People like Schwab have been planning this reset for decades. They were using climate change as a catalyst, and it just wasn't selling. Now this. Their arrogance is astounding. You can get a flavor of what they have in mind from the content pages of this political economic Grimoire below. So this this commenter, and we have to wrap things up. Yes. This friend of the show, yes, doesn't like that Schwab is talking about how we need to have a great reset. He feels as though someone who's in the position of power and with a desire to reset the planet must be a bad guy, and that they're doing it nefariously. And those are all assumptions that this commenter is making without any particular data to back it up. Those are just his feelings. Those are his feelings. Yes. And last week we were talking in generic terms about the Great Reset. And this week I wanted to post some links to some folks that have uneasy feelings about the Great Reset. Yeah. So that guy is reading, again, his bias is that these big corporations are going, they own the world. They own the world. We don't they own already it do own yeah. the world. And now and what are they going and now to they're do going about to shape it. it. Yeah. They're going to shape it in a form that they Can like. we even be involved or not? I don't know. Well, that's what we're wondering now. Yeah. And I'll have more to say about that next week. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows.
or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at buttamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?